0: But man, do I love those good old hymns. The richness of the beauty of the cross on display. You just can't beat it. And it's interesting, because we played How Great Thou Art, one of the very first hymns written after the Reformation. So it's one of the oldest Protestant hymns we have. Except for in the passage I'm going to read this morning. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask you that may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Here it is. Church, listen. This is called Paul's hymn. This is a hymn that goes from praise to worship. And if you want to know what that means theologically, ask our students. We talked about that just this past week. Or come find me. But here's what he says. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn, from whom the dead. And so that he himself will have first place in everything. For it is the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself having made peace through the blood of his cross through him i say whether things on earth or things in heaven church let us pray god as we come to come today lord let us remember that this is about your glory that your cross, although we benefit from the sacrifice, was ultimately for the exaltation of Christ. That through you all things and to you are all things. Let us continue our time of worship through the proclamation of your word. Let your word be magnified in our hearts and lives. Let Christ be exalted. Let us esteem Him as both precious precious and worthy. It is in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bruce. I'm going to take this moment to dismiss our K through 5th grade. As you see the teachers heading over to the door, you guys can head that way. Enjoy your time. And as they're heading that way, I would ask you, if you have a digital device or a Bible with you, open up to Ephesians chapter 1 for me today. Ephesians chapter 1. Today marks day or week number 3 of our Ephesians series called Made Worthy. Made Worthy, the first week we talked about the introduction and Paul's greeting to the saints and reminded them who they are in Christ. They are made worthy in Christ. And then last week we delved into the truth that God is blessed. And Paul begins a long sentence, a long prayer, a long praise of who God is, calling Him blessed but reminds us within that prayer that the blessed has become the blesser and has blessed us with spiritual blessings. So that's a a lot of blessed that we're talking about there. But as we looked at verses 3 through 6, we saw words in there that talked about the blessings that we have. And some words came up that have been debated for centuries. Words like chosen and predestined. And I was grateful for the conversations that took place after church last Sunday. As we talked about those two words, I had people come up to me and ask me questions and give me statements of where they were at and what they stood with and for. And I was grateful for some that were happening among each other. As I walked around the room, and even more so, um, I had some parents who came up to me that said that their youth were listening and had questions, and they got to have discussions at home. And to be honest with you, that excites me. That excites me because my challenge at the end of the week last week was this. It was to know why you believe what you believe. Don't just take my word for it. Get in, study, learn, and dive deeper into it all. And I said, you know, there are plenty of opportunities for us to disagree in Christianity. There are plenty of opportunities for us not to, to land on the same page, but there shouldn't be plenty of opportunities for us to be divided. And so unfortunately, sometimes these things begin to divide us. Um, Last week, even as I was talking, I I talked to my friend Bob over here, and and he and I, as we were talking, he said, you know, it's not as big of a deal on how somebody gets saved, it's if somebody gets saved. Our job is to spread the seed of the gospel. Our job is to water the seed of the gospel. You know whose job it is to give the growth? God's. And we turn it over to Him with that. As we begin to dive a little deeper, um, I've been reading also through this book by David Platt, a new book that actually just came out last week. And the book is entitled this, Don't Hold Back, Leaving Behind the American Gospel to Follow Jesus. And he talks about division in that, and how too much we, we hold on to secondary and and really things that that even fall past secondary things and make them primary when we should really only have a primary thing that we hold on to so tightly we can't let go. He talks about three buckets and it's something that I've really talked about in a primary thing that we hold on to tightly and a secondary thing we hold on to loosely. The primary things are things that we must believe as Christians. The secondary things we can disagree on, but we should not divide over. The church is made up of all sorts of people. Just look around. We have all sorts of different people's in here from all different backgrounds. All different social statuses All different economic statuses All sorts of political leanings And you know what, I could go on There's so many differences even in our church right here But the truth is We're all different Each and every one of us in this room is different With at least one thing in common That one thing we have in common is Our Heavenly Father Our Heavenly Father, we have been adopted As we talked about last week Into God's family We are family Now, let me just give you a quick picture of this. Two days ago, was St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. But in our house, March 17th is bigger than St. Patrick's Day. It is a day that is marked in our history of our family, a day that happened nine years ago. Nine years ago, Christy Camden and I walked into a transition house in Ethiopia to pick up a little boy named Endale to take him from an orphanage and bring him into our forever home. It was the day that our family's destiny changed. In Matthew was taken from place and he was an orphan no more. We call it gotcha day. March 17th is bigger than St. Patrick's Day. It is gotcha day at our house. And we have gotcha days at our house and they are a big deal. So Friday night we celebrated in Dale. And if you know anything about Indale, he will eat it up when you give him attention. He takes it all in and he has a big grin that just melts your heart. But he was eating it up. We were eating some of his favorite foods and we sat down. We watched his gotcha day video on YouTube, which by all crazy things has 45,000 views of it. And, and we were watching it. And as we were sitting there watching it, my heart filled with joy because that was the moment that video marks the moment that it all started at our house. It opened up our table to a child from Ethiopia. And then it actually, I always tell, uh, the, the (laughs) Lily and Levi and Glory that they need to thank Ndali for being so cool, uh, because, uh, we decided we could continue to open our table up to two more from China and one more from Bulgaria. And as we sat at that table on Friday night, I just looked around and I smiled. The different backgrounds. Of the different customs that they came from, of the, of the different histories and stories of how they were put into an orphanage or whatever the situation might be, but even more so how God brought them into our family. And as I sat and I looked at that table, all I could think about is we're family. Of all the differences. It's something that I could have never imagined 26 years ago when Christy, while we were dating, said if you want this relationship to continue... You need to understand that God has laid it on my heart to either have a child with special needs or uh, by birth or to adopt a child with special needs. It was nothing that I I could have ever imagined that 10 years ago when I was sitting in my recliner, I could tell you exactly where I was at, sitting in my recliner and Christy laid a picture of this little boy on my lap and said I think we need to pray about going and getting this little boy from Ethiopia. One that if no family takes, he will be transitioned into an institution and basically forgot about for the rest of his life. It is a choice that I never could have dreamed that my family would look the way that it does now. I mean, when I was 20 years old, I wasn't thinking, hey, at 47, I'm going to have seven kids. They're going to be from four different countries. Uh, you know, th- This was not the thought that was going through my mind, but here I am. Guess what? Here we are. And I say, here we are, because the picture of my table is just a microcosm of what God's table looks like. Just a microcosm. His adopted children, that are all so different, but all have one thing in common, a Heavenly Father who has adopted us as sons and daughters in Christ into His family. And going back to those buckets, going back to the things we hold tightly to and the things that we hold loosely to, let me say this as we move forward as a church. And let me say this as we move forward, even in the book of Ephesians, the primary things that we need to hold on to that unite all believers are clear biblical beliefs and practices. And they are the gospel and the inerrancy and the authority of God's word and the, the fact that we live those out, the commands that are given to us. It's like Paul says in First Corinthians chapter one, verses twenty two through twenty five. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Go just a couple of verses down into chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul says this, "...when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom." I decided to know nothing among you except one thing. You know what that was? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is it. We have not yet, if we have not yet learned that Jesus and Him crucified is our foundation, our essence, and our fullness of all divine truth, we're missing something. If we still miss the message of the Bible and the hope of the gospel, is Christ and Him crucified? We're missing the whole point. We have to hold on to this first and foremost. See, without Christ and Him crucified, we have no forgiveness of sin. We have no comfort in trouble. We have no strength in trial. We have no atonement. We have no peace. We have no reconciliation with God. Without Christ and Him crucified, there is no hope in death. There is no access to God and there is no eternal life with Him. Without Him crucified. Look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I skipped over these two verses by jumping from 1-2, to but the last two verses of chapter 1 say this, in verse 30. It is from Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom for God from God for us, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption, in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts boasts in the Lord. Christ is all. Do we understand that? That without Christ we are nothing. Without Christ we have nothing, and without Christ we can do Nothing. Do we understand that as a church? See, it's all about Him crucified. That is primary. All the secondary things, really the things that are okay to disagree on, but not divide on, we can't let those things step over Christ and Him crucified. We can't let those things be the things that drive us or divide us. We can't let those things overpower the unity that we have in the absolute truth of Christ. We can't do it. I don't care if you're Calvinist I don't care if you're Arminian I don't care if you're Calminian I don't care if you don't even know what any of those words mean the truth of the matter is do you know Jesus as your Savior do you know Him in a personal way have you repented of your sins where you fall short of God's glory are you asking Him to be the Lord of your life are you allowing Him to lead you in a life that is ever changing to be more like Him all for his glory and his honor. That's all I care about. That's all that we should care about. The primary foundations of that all. That's what we're all about. And guess what? If you read the book of Ephesians, which I hope you have been, you'll see that Paul is praising God for this very thing in that first chapter. The first chapter of Ephesians. Last week we stopped at verse 6 because I just didn't have enough time even if I had enough time, I don't think I could have got into it because it's a whole other message in itself when it starts in verse 7. So if you have your Bibles open or your digital devices there, we're going to start reading in verse 7 of chapter 1 and read through 14 today. And this is what it says. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace that He richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that He purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Him. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but it says almost exactly that Pastor Bruce read from the book of Colossians. We'll talk about that here in a second. In Him, we've also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the One who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of His will so that we who already put our hope in Christ, might bring praise to His glory. In Him you were also sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. That's our passage today. Let me read for you again verse 7 where it says, In Him, not in anything else, Christ alone. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Last week, we talked about how Paul was praising God, God the Father, for His work in heaven. This week, we're looking at how we praise God the Son for His work in redeeming us. But what does that word mean, redeemed? Redemption. You know, we sang some hymns up front. I gave Kyle a whole, whole long list of all the hymns I remember singing growing up. They were all about redemption and assurance. Both things that are mentioned in this passage. Things we praise God for. And I'm so glad that we had an opportunity to sing that. And I know that he is as well since half the band was missing. And he's like, it'd be so much easier if we just did some simple hymns. And we did. And and praise God for them and the way that he worked in them. But as we look at this word redemption, what does it mean? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote a handful of letters that we have preserved for us in the New Testament. And in that, he uses lots of different legal terms and legal concepts to describe our salvation, words to help us understand what Christ did for us in coming into earth, into putting on flesh, and living the perfect life, and being the perfect sacrifice for our sins. As we look at that, he went to the cross, Dying the death that we deserved and raising again on the third day. Paul uses words to describe that. Words like justification. Maybe you've heard that word before. It means being vindicated, declares righteous before God. Adoption, that we've already talked about even last week and today. Brought into a family with all the rights and privileges that belong to the father's natural children and the other adopted children. Meaning, we are family. Reconciliation. Two former adversaries have been made right with each other, and our passages from our our words from our passage today. One is forgiveness. Forgiveness is the cancellation of a legal debt through payment or pardon, or to send away, and then redemption, deliverance brought about by the payment of a ransom. Redemption, as we look at this word, is actually a common word used to purchase a person. Out of slavery and grant them freedom. And I say it was a common word because in Paul's time, there were somewhere around six million people in slavery in the Roman Empire. And this was a common practice to redeem them, to purchase them out of that slavery. Well, now when Paul uses it here, it actually implies that there's a previous condition of slavery by which man could not free himself from. That is redemption. And that's exactly what the Bible says about man. The condition that it describes us to be in, in our natural state. The Bible is very clear and says that we are slaves to sin. Our natural desire is to please the flesh, not to do God's will, but to do our own. And in case you're wondering, and I never want to to, uh, talk down to anybody, but I know there are questions and sometimes we just don't feel like asking. If you ever wonder what a sin is, It is missing God's holy mark. It's any action, attitude, or thought that is against what He would have us to do. It's missing who He is, and and we are slave to that. We are in bondage to the world system, under the yoke of the law, and held captive by death. Meaning this, in short, man was in great need of redemption. And he couldn't do it himself. Man is trapped in sin and its consequences you look at the book of romans romans chapter 6 verse 23 says for the wages of sin is death we are trapped in that we have earned death and separation from god and guess what we can't get out of it on our own because we don't have the natural desire to want to redemption is what brings a person out of that bondage to his or her slave master's now, as we look at that, Pastor Bruce read from the book of Colossians up front. Like I said, you heard a lot of things similar to Ephesians and Colossians. That's because as Paul wrote both of those letters, it's known, uh, somebody did a lot of work to figure this out. 26.7% of the book of Colossians is found in the book of Ephesians, the language that is there. They're parallel to each other. And as he read, he said these words in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. God has done the work by rescuing us. Transferring us from who we are into the Son that He loves. Into the kingdom of God. Redemption means we have been redeemed in Him. Well, I want to take a little bit more into that. Because uh, I don't want to, us uh, to miss this important truth. And I especially don't want us to miss how much it really matters in the grand story that we are redeemed. See, in redemption, a price was paid in a substitutionary manner to free an object, which is us, from its previous owner, which is sin. To free us from the bondage that we are under. And when this object is redeemed, it's now under a new ownership. It belongs to the Redeemer. Don't miss that fact. So that that leads us to a couple of questions. Who is the Redeemer? First answer is Jesus. Jesus is our Redeemer. In Him we have redemption. He paid the price of our redemption. As a matter of fact, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament concept of what's called a kinsman Redeemer. He became our kinsman Redeemer. And I'm not going to get into all the details of the Old Testament found in the Pentateuch. But a kinsman Redeemer is a male who has the privilege or responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who is in trouble, danger, or need. The Hebrew term for kinsman redeemer designates one who delivers or rescues or redeems property or person. Now, there are some qualifications to be a kinsman redeemer. If you've ever read the book of Ruth, you will see that in there with Boaz, but I'm going to kind of keep it short and point you to what it looks like with Jesus. Jesus. Those qualifications were this. A Redeemer had to be related. Jesus relates to us by becoming human. A Redeemer had to be able to pay the asking price of redemption. Well, guess what? Jesus is the only one able to pay the asking price of God because He was sinless. The third thing is this. A Redeemer had to be not just able, but willing. Willing to pay the price for redemption. The Bible tells us that Jesus willingly laid down his life for his sheep. Our Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ, and in Him we have redemption. Next question is, is who are the redeemed? Who are the redeemed? Who's the we in the verse? We'll go back to verse 1. It's the saints. The ones who are set apart. The ones who have given their lives to the Redeemer. Ones whose lives are under new ownership. Ones whose lives are under new leadership. So, we have who the Redeemer is. We have the redeemed. But what was the price? What was the price of redemption? The text says, in Him we have redemption, what? Through His blood. Please understand what this means. The price of redemption is not that Jesus got a cut and shed a little blood. He said He suffered all the torment of a sin sacrifice, talked about in Leviticus 17. Leviticus 17:11 says these words, For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives, since it is the lifeblood that makes atonement. It was the life of Jesus that is poured out for our sins. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 say these words: "For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb." See, Jesus' his blood, his life, and his death, they were our substitute for our deaths. I already told you, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. Well, Jesus took that sin upon himself and died our death. That is why we sing, Oh, how marvelous! Oh, how wonderful! Jesus would give his life for me. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says these words, He, God made the one who did not know sin Jesus to be sin for us so on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God Jesus is our redeemer and he paid the price with his life do we grasp that or does that just become christianese in some way that we hear it we know it he Paid the price when he didn't have to for sinners like you and sinners like me so that we could be redeemed. If he had not, we'd still be using animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. But if you remember, a redeemer has to be related. The only way animals are related to us is they were created by the Creator. That's the only relationship they have. The book of Hebrews, which a couple of our connection groups are going through right now, makes it very clear. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 through 14. He entered the most holy place once for all time not by the blood of goats and calves but by his own blood having obtained eternal redemption for if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a young cow sprinkled those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of flesh how much more will the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to god cleanse our conscience from the dead works so that we can serve the living god hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Hebrews 10.10 By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of a body of Jesus Christ once for all time. We can be redeemed because the Redeemer paid the price of redemption. In short, we are saved by God, for God. And the great thing is, the results are listed next in our passage. Check this out. The forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of our sins. Paul actually uses the word for sin or trespasses here, meaning wandering off the path of life that is found in doing God's will. Basically, we're doing our own thing. Chasing after our own desires and not God's. Now, here's an interesting tidbit about forgiveness. As I said earlier, there's two definitions for it. One of them was to send away. If you want a great Old Testament picture of forgiveness, to take a look back at Leviticus. I know you guys aren't reading Leviticus on a regular basis, but... Leviticus 16 and 17. The day of atonement, Yom Kippur. The high priest would actually choose two spotless goats. One goat was killed as a sacrifice and its blood was sprinkled on the altar. The second goat was taken by the priest. The priest would actually place his hands on the head and he would confess the sins of the people, symbolically transforming or tra- transferring their sins onto the goat. The goat was then Taken away and allowed to be set free in the wilderness. This is actually where we get the term scapegoat. Because the term scapegoat means someone bears the blame for all the people. This goat would bear the blame for all the people and set free in the wilderness. It also said about forgiveness that it was meant to cancel a legal debt through either repayment or pardon. Well, Jesus became our scapegoat, both paying the price for our sins, and we were granted pardon. Because that's how God saw us now. As our sins were upon Him, we were clean from God's perspective. We stand clean before Him. But on a day-to-day perspective, within our time continuum, we are granted forgiveness as we confess our sins. That's what First John's talking about when he says in First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's the first result, forgiveness of our trespasses. The second thing Paul mentions is wisdom and understanding for living. Wisdom and understanding for living. God makes it known to us that his whole plan centers in Christ. The uniting of all things, all things in heaven, all things on earth right now are broken. So all the things that are going now will be reunited, will be brought together. As a matter of fact, this is what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 23. For creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself also will be set free from the bondage to the decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as a firstfruits we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption and the redemption of our bodies. It's coming. Paradise was lost in Adam, but we will be restored in Christ. And finally, the last thing that Paul mentions as a result is an inheritance on top of all the other blessings that have been mentioned. We have an inheritance. Listen to what it says in verse 11 through 14 again in Ephesians chapter 1. In him, we've also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him, you were also sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. That's a lot, but what is Paul talking about? What's he talking about with this inheritance? Well, he's talking about something that we are sure will happen in the future. As a matter of fact, I, I read all the different commentaries. You see my, my desk in my office. There's a stack of books this high, and I've just been going through all of them. It's going, all right, what's each one have to say about this? And many of them actually couldn't quite determine on what was being translated here. Because there's there's two different ways that term of having an inheritance is transferred. In him we've also received an inheritance. Could be we're made an inheritance, that we are a possession of God's, or we have received an inheritance, like it talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where it says it's an imperishable inheritance, uncorrupted and unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. So we have two different things, but guess what? I don't think it really matters, because both of them sound great. Both of them sound sound great. We are God's possession, redeemed for His glory, and we have eternity with Him both now, and we have eternity waiting for us how'd that happen well from God's perspective because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will it was by his purpose and for his purpose from our perspective which is a little bit different we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory since we have believed here's where that God's sovereignty and man's responsibility we talked about last week they tend to get people all twisted up. Start showing up again. Look at verse 13. It says, In him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. It's an amazing mystery. And in that mystery, do you believe because you were reborn or are you reborn because you believed? I don't know. I guess we have to figure that out, right? But the great thing is, is that we are reborn. We do have Christ. It's not how, it's if. And Paul says some things here that we can go into way more detail with. I'm going to keep it short for time's sake. And last week went over an hour during the testimony and message time. And the teachers back in the back were like, hey, can you give us a little heads up next time? Uh, Here's what he says. The sealing of the Spirit. It's the first thing he mentions. What does that mean? Well, a seal was a mark of ownership and authenticity. It was actually a brand that was put on cattle or slaves so an owner could protect What was theirs? You have been sealed with the Spirit. If you are truly His, God has sealed you to keep you until the final day of redemption. That's why we sing blessed assurance. I'm assured that Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Those words... That's the song that just kept going through my head over and over again. I'm like, Kyle, if you're going to pick one from the list, make sure you pick that one. The sealing of the Spirit. Second thing, it talks about the promised Holy Spirit. You realize throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Gospels, and even into the book of Acts, we are promised a Holy Spirit, a coming Holy Spirit. Jesus actually says in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. That whole adoption picture again. John 16:7, he says, Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. You know who that counselor is? It's the Holy Spirit. It's our helper. It's the paracletes. I've talked about that before. It's not the actual pronunciation of the Greek word, but it's a great way to remember it. What does a pair of cleats in sport do? It helps keep you from slipping, it helps keep you pushing on. That is our helper. That is our counselor that we've been given. And God did it for us. How awesome really, truly is that? And not only do we, we have been sealed in the Spirit, we have the promises of the Spirit, we've been guaranteed in the Spirit. The Spirit, as it says here, is the first installment. It's a down payment. Now, I'm not sure if you understand what that means, but it's a down payment of the glory to come. If you ever bought a house and they said, hey, you need to put 10% down or 20% down, it's not technically your house yet. Because you still got another 80% still to go. But, you have a foretaste of what's to come when you do own that house. When that is your thing. The Holy Spirit is just a foretaste of what is to come. And this is the guarantee that we have. That in the future we will have it all, but right now we just get a taste. And what's it say all for the reason is? For His praise and His glory. After reading this and breaking it down, there's nothing else we can do but praise Him. We don't need to argue about words within it. We need to thank Him that He has saved us. And here's the deal. I think it leads to an important question as we look at this guarantee of the Spirit. It's a question that actually came up uh, in the last couple of weeks that I was just going to kind of let it go, but I can't. Can a Christian lose their salvation? Quick answer is No quick answer is no. As John MacArthur says, if I could lose my salvation, I would. Because that's just the truth of the matter. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. So I'm not going to earn it to get it. And I'm not going to do anything to lose it. A Christian is a new creation, the Bible tells us. To lose our salvation, we mean that new creation have to be destroyed. A Christian is redeemed. To lose, that means The purchase would have to be revoked. A Christian is justified, declared righteous. To lose it, God would have to go back on His word and undeclare His promise and He would have to try us again in the court and we would be declared guilty. A Christian has eternal life. We have to redefine the word eternal if it were to be taken from us. We are sealed, we are marked, we are guaranteed and it is in His inheritance if we could lose it. I truly believe it would invalidate Scripture and all it says that it happens to us when we receive Christ. And when you invalidate part of Scripture, you're going to invalidate all of it. It comes down to this. The answer to the question is, what is a Christian? Is it just somebody who said a prayer? Is it just somebody who walked in aisles? Is it just somebody who grew up in a Christian family? Those are all parts of it, but that is not the whole. A Christian is a person who has fully accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and as their Lord and as a result has the Holy Spirit in them. That is what this passage is talking about. If you have not accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord and your life is bearing fruit of it, I would challenge you not to see if you've ever lost your Christianity, but if you've ever had it in the first place. Because that's where it lies at. That's between you and God. You have to realize in your life who you are and where you are. Does this passage describe you redeemed by the blood, purchased, and have a new owner? Or are you still on your own? See, God the Father has chosen us, is what this passage tells us. God the Son has redeemed us and God the Spirit has assured us. What I want to do today is I just want to worship this triune God. Our Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because we were made for praise and we we're most satisfied when we are praising God. Let's close up our service by praising Him. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for who you are and what you continue to do and how you continue to work in each and every one of us to make us more like you. And I pray right here, right now, God, that if you're speaking to hearts and minds about their standing in you, I pray you make it obvious. They are either with you or they are not. And if they are not, God, I pray by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, they take that next step to become a child of yours to be adopted into your family and to stand before you clean and righteous because of the blood that was poured out that they've been redeemed by Jesus. God, we want you to have all the glory and all the honor and we don't want to take anything from it to think that somehow we have earned this or we have deserved this or we are a good enough person because we know we are not. We know that it is in you that we have these things. Thank you. For sending your son. May you have all the glory and all the honor as we praise you this morning. Pray in your name.
0: Amen.